Welcome to week two of Christmas at the Movies. Today we look at the 1989 classic film, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now this film is rated PG-13, and so if you have gone ahead and you know watched it with your family, um, my apologies if you have younger children. Uh, we don't necessarily endorse every aspect of it, but this is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, just down the street, uh, we have uh, some, some decorations in our neighbor's yards, and we saw this. Uh, this is straight from the movie. Uh, and the movie is uh, about an amazing person named Clark W. Griswold Jr. Uh, Clark Griswold does everything in his power to give his family the perfect Christmas. I've seen this movie countless times and it never stops being funny. And I think part of the reason it's so successful is because it perfectly characterizes and captures uh, the struggles and conflicts of every family that we all experience during the holiday season. The stresses of preparing for Christmas, spending the money that you don't have, uh, chaos that erupts after diligent planning, the, the clash of holiday expectations, and the unpredictability of family visits. Clark Griswold helps us deal with all these conflicts by taking them upon himself and somehow managing to survive, making us laugh at him and perhaps even at us in the process. In the movie, not only does Clark's parents show up for the holidays, but also his in-laws arrive. And they show up on Thanksgiving Day and stay till Christmas. Okay, that's a long time. Now, I have the greatest in-laws in the world. That's it. I just have the greatest in-laws in the world. I wasn't going to say anything after that. They attend our church. In Christmas vacation, uh, anything that can go wrong does go wrong. Here's a clip of just some of the disasters that happen in just the first 10 minutes of the movie. Now, if you're watching on social media, the clips won't be there. Uh, that is a copyright issue, uh, but you can watch the clips on our website or our YouTube site. Honey, please, I'll do the driving, okay? Will you just take it easy, Ellen? I'm in complete control. Get around this egg timer. Ready? I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. A lot of sap in here. Mm. 
Looks great. Little full. Lot of sap. Have you ever felt like nothing is going right? That it's just one thing after another? When too many things are coming at you, when so many things are stacked upon you, when you feel like you're getting pummeled and you're being held under water. Like that feeling when you get that bill that you didn't expect and you're like, seriously, not today. Or there's this toxic draining person at work and your interaction with them is just awful and you're just like, no, it's, it's too much today, no. Or maybe you're a parent of young children and you're laying in bed and you hear your kid, they're making noises, they're awake and you're like, please go back to bed. You look at the clock, it's like 4.58. Please, I need my sleep. You know that by, the t by 10 a.m. you're gonna be exhausted because you've been up since five. Maybe you just started something, it's a job or it's a business and you're learning on the fly and it's, it's just too much, right? It's overwhelming. Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel that way right now? If so, the disciples of Jesus can relate. Uh, let's read together a story found in three of the Gospels. Luke chapter 8, we'll go there. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. The Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level and it is surrounded by very steep table rock mountains. And the ravines carry that water down to the sea and they act as a wind tunnel when there is no water. And so by the time the wind hits the water, it can be ferocious. So it can be clear and calm one minute and within 10 to 20 minutes, be embroiled in a raging storm that has waves whipping 20 feet tall. And that is what the disciples encountered in this passage as they crossed the sea with Jesus. Luke writes here that the storm was so bad that the ship was full of water. Mark wrote in his account that the, the waves were beating the ship and it was full of water. And then in Matthew it says the waves covered the ship. So you see, this is not just a drizzle. This is not a little bit of rain. No, this is a storm. And the Greek word here for a great storm is the word seismos. It's where we get the word seismograph, what measures earthquakes. This is an earth-shaking type storm with massive waves. They had a crisis on their hands. Their ship was full of water. The waves were as high as the boat. They were headed for the bottom unless the storm ceased. Have you ever felt like this? that the storms are blowing so hard, you're about to sink, and you can't handle the wind, 
and you can't handle the waves and you can't handle the water at all. When I was a, a kid, I grew up um, in Illinois uh, and, um, and throughout the 1980s and whenever we thought of California or pictured California or saw it on TV, we always thought it was just like blue eyes, blonde hair, super tan skin, everybody surfs. Okay, that's California. There's a beach within walking distance, every home in California, uh, that you surf to school. Okay, that's what we thought. I realized fairly quickly that that wasn't true. And over the years, I've surfed a little bit, uh, at most a couple times a year. Surfing is a very dangerous activity, especially if there's big waves. And there's been a couple of times in my life I have experienced this. The waves come and it just pelts me in underwater. I don't know which way is up, which way is down. I finally reach up to catch my breath and the next wave pummels me again. And to grasp the panic that happens in those moments, it's like as if, if you and I were gonna go uh, do an underwater hold your breath contest and we're like, okay, one, two, three. The first thing we would do is, and we would just take that big intake and then go underwater. But when you uh, aren't expecting to go under and you're not able to take that first breath, uh, there's panic because you can't hold your breath very long at all. That's what it's like when you're pummeled by these waves. When you're caught in a set of large waves, you can't catch your breath. Uh, and then there's panic, like, do I have enough air? It's like when you're a kid and you try and come up in the swimming pool and Jimmy is on the floaty raft and now you're stuck under Jimmy and you can't, you begin to panic. You're like, Jimmy, move. It's that, that panic of, I, I gotta get out of here. But eventually the waves pass, the waters are calm again. Because that's the thing with waves. They come, they pummel you, and then they pass you by and crash onto the shore. And I want to ask, is anybody going through some holiday waves right now? When you don't know which way is up and down, when there's a lot of pressure on you, when there's a lot of weight on you, when it's tiring, when it's disorienting, when it's confusing, when you feel like you can't breathe. We've all been there. Many of us are there now, and this is what's going on with Clark Griswold throughout Christmas vacation. All of the best intentions in the world cannot keep you safe from the oncoming waves, from bad things happening. And if that is you, if you are caught up in this holiday swell where it's wave after wave and you can't seem to hold your head above water, here are a few things that might help. First, pause and declare that this is a wave. They come and then they go. They come, they go. Living, dying, pushing, pulling. Day, night, in, out. Leaves fall in autumn, leaves burst forth again in spring. Inhale, exhale. It's all kind of a wave, isn't it? There's a rhythm to it. One of the most powerful things that we can de declare when we are overwhelmed is that this is a wave. This is a season. That this moment is not all moments. That it will pass. And this is important because it's a declaration that there is an impermanence to everything. It will come, but it will roll over you and it will pass. Impermanence 
is built into the very fabric of life. And maybe you've been hit by a number of things. It is, and maybe you can say, well, this is a set of waves. But it will pass. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This will pass. Whatever you are going through will pass. If you are being tossed around right now and your life just seems awful, don't fret because it will go back up. That's what life does. And if everything in your life is cupcakes and rainbows, it just get ready because there is an impermanence to that too. This is a wave. This is a season. It is the nature of life and existence. There will be storms, but there will be peace and there will be joy. And secondly, know that Jesus didn't cause your storm. See if you can relate to this clip in the movie. You want something you can be proud of, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. Sure you do. I think you might be overdoing it, Dad. Russ, when was the last time I overdid anything? Come on, unravel these. You have to check every bulb. Got a little knot here. You work on that. I'll get the other box. How is it that no matter how you put away your Christmas lights the year before, that when you open them the following year, everything is tangled in knots like a thousand pretzels? Uh, I am convinced that the devil sneaks into our storage, goes to town at wrapping all of our lights in knots, and then walks away laughing at us. All the while, the next year, we're cursing God. God, give me a break. I know I didn't put him away like this. It's Satan. He's terrible. It's not God. Jesus didn't cause your storm. He can use it. He can transform it. But he's not the one causing the pain. Look at what he did to the Sea of Galilee. It says, he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Jesus rebuked the storm. If he rebuked it, then it wasn't from him. God doesn't cause the storms in your life, but he is with you in the midst of them. Jesus is our umbrella against the pounding rain. Jesus is our life raft amidst the crashing waves. Jesus is our rescue when hope seems to be lost. Jesus will deliver you through the storms of life, but not from the storms of life. That is what we are promised within the scriptures, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but it doesn't mean it's going to be cupcakes and rainbows. Jesus will deliver us through the storms of life, but not from the storms of life. And there is a big difference. Is it, are any of us going through a storm right now? Jesus is with you in the midst of it. He will carry you through it, even if he doesn't take it all away. The Gospels tell us the story of Jesus rebuking the storm, the seismos, rebuking it. 
The Bible doesn't only tell us what Jesus did. The Bible tells us what Jesus does. And he is still in the business of silencing storms all around us. Sometimes we need to stop paddling in panic and we need to go to Jesus. One of the things that is most relatable in this movie is the absolute craziness of his family. Okay, the characters are unbelievable because not only do his parents show up and his in-laws show up, but cousin Eddie and his family shows up. Now there could be an entire sermon series done just on cousin Eddie. Uh, and uh, did you know that Christmas Vacation Part 2 is actually a thing, and it stars Cousin Eddie. I didn't know that until earlier this week. Um, and then not only does Cousin Eddie and the family show up, but uh, Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis also show up on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, they are all gathered together at the dinner table, and there are these moments of peace. There are these moments of reflection and joy and contentment, and that all is right in the world and then things come crashing down again. Let's see. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Great. Oh. 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 I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 <sighs> Catherine. This turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. Why are you crying? Huh? I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. Now, I do not know all of you who are watching or listening currently online, but I know, I bet I know something about your family. I bet that your family is messy. Okay. I'm not talking about like dirty and leaving things out. I'm just saying like our families are a mess, right? It's not nice and neat. Okay, I knew it. Can I tell you that my family is messy? And that the Bible is full of messy families, families with big, big problems? And it won't take you very long um, in reading the Bible to discover these families, right? Just read the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Adam and Eve, perfect peace, harmony with God, until they let, let that little snake in, right? Then they're blaming each other, then they're blaming God, and they have a couple of kids, Cain and Abel. Okay, talk about a sibling rivalry. Uh, a great uh, Bible joke. Uh, how long did Cain hate his brother? Well, as long as he was able. Okay. 
he ended up killing his brother. In chapter six, we meet Noah. And in chapter nine, Noah gets drunk, passes out naked. And one of the sons tells the brothers, psh, psh, uh, dad's passed out naked. They cover him up. Noah curses him. In chapter 12, we meet Abraham. Abraham pimped out his wife twice. And then there was a lot of drama with Lot. Okay. He also slept with a slave girl after his wife asked him to. Okay. He had two grandkids, Jacob and Esau. They were twins and they competed in everything and they fought in everything. And Jacob and his mom uh, kind of worked together to deceive Isaac to giving the younger son, Jacob, the blessing. Then they become enemies. And then there's Joseph and his family, his brothers. They were crazy. Not only did they make an entire tribe get circumcised, but while they were healing from them getting snipped, they killed all of them because one of them raped their sister. Also, they threw Joseph in a well, left him for dead. Okay, This is all in the first book of the Bible. The Bible is full of messy families. This church is full of messy families. The whole world is full of messy families. You've heard it before. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. God puts you in your family on purpose for a purpose. Whatever holiday traditions you're looking forward to, whatever holiday traditions you wish would go by the wayside, God puts you in your family on purpose for a purpose. Be the best husband you can be. Be the best son you can be. Be the best uncle or aunt you can be. Jesus put these people in your lives for you to love faults and all. We all have messy families. When family is done right, nothing will bring you greater joy. But when family is done wrong, nothing will bring you deeper pain. And many of us bear the scars. Some of us, we don't have close relationships with our family, or maybe we'd say, I don't really have any family, or perhaps they're all gone. You still have family. In the ocean, dolphins swim together and live in pods. And when a smaller pod or family runs into a larger pod, the larger pod accepts them as their own. They're like, hey, this is great. The more the merrier. We'll set up an extra table setting. Come on, join us. And that is how the church should be. No matter how imperfect or small our families are, we should join together. If your family's complicated or if you don't have a family, you have family here. The church is family, just like dolphins, always creating more room. I guess you could say that God puts you in this family on purpose. On purpose. Now, Clark Griswold wanted the perfect family Christmas. But instead, he just got family and he just got Christmas. But two out of three ain't that bad. If you want to know how the movie ends, you're going to have to watch it yourself. But needless to say, perfection is always disrupted in countless ways. And disruption is a key part of the actual Christmas story, the real Christmas story that happened 2,000 years ago. You see, God disrupted Mary's life. And she said, yes. We often miss this great truth, this dimension of Christmas, that the very presence of God is by nature disruptive. It disrupts our comfort. It disrupts 
um, our lives. Mary clearly portrays this. God had invaded her sense of privacy, her plans toward a passive, normal life. I can't help but wonder what was going through Mary's mind, how she might have responded to the angel. This is, this is how you treat someone who's highly favored, like you said, right? Allowing my life to face hardship, misunderstanding. Can't you just get everyone on board with this pregnancy thing? Um, can't you just remove the rough spots, get rid of all resistance, and then just make it happen? Can't you wait till epidural is invented before I'm pregnant with the child of God? These are the kinds of things that we might have thought of that first Christmas if we were Mary. But that's what makes Mary's response so striking. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And with these words, Mary forever joins the drama of Christmas. Mary let God disrupt her life. Mary surrenders her plans to his presence. Mary places her life in God and God places his life in her. So whatever disruptions you have in your life right now, whatever storms are brewing, whatever relatives are showing up uninvited, God wants to use the storms, use the disruptions, use the imperfect, because that's all of us. This Christmas season, in the middle of crisis, would you go to Jesus? In the middle of disruptions, could you partner with Christ in bringing about joy and grace? In the middle of these waves, can we declare, this is a wave and it too shall pass. Could we allow the disruptions of life to bring us closer to God and to call us more into his plan, just like Mary that very first Christmas? God, I pray in Jesus' name that we partner with you in the midst of disruption, in the midst of our messy lives, in the midst of our messy families, in the midst of this messy church. We pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be people who bring about your grace, your love, your peace, this holiday season and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Christmas at the Movies sermon series, and it's going to be incredible. It's also Christmas Sweater Sunday. And so uh, wear your favorite sweater that you've got. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a hand-me-down from your aunt. Uh, I don't know, but we're excited to have a ton of fun together next week. And then in two weeks, it's Christmas Sunday, and we've got PC Kids doing a performance, and we've got uh, the North Pole there, and a train rides, and all kinds of things for you and family, and I heard that Santa will be there taking pictures. It's going to be incredible. So mark your calendars for Sunday, uh, December 19th, and we look forward to seeing you next week at the finale. Peace in the Middle East.